The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell, and I am the Executive Minister and the Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, under the leadership of the Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells. The church was founded by the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman. I'm in the midst of a series titled The Magic of Thinking Big. It is based upon a book of the same title by David J. Schwartz. I've asked everyone who is following along with this series to actually purchase the book and follow along and read it with me chapter by chapter. I'm going to teach this book chapter by chapter until I finish it. So even if I take a break here and there or have to bring a guest on or something like that, please know. I will finish this book without a shadow of a doubt. And if you're getting some benefit from the book, I would love to hear from you. You know, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I am uh, on Facebook. But for this show, I would love the messages to go to Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. Why? Because that's the best way to make sure uh, that I'm getting those messages that are specific to ministry, not, you know, your friends, you know, sending you an inbox on you something personal. So I would love to hear what you're getting from the show. You know, one of the things that can be challenging at times is I don't necessarily know how the information is landing with the people that are listening. So if you uh, could do me the favor of letting me know how this information is landing with you. I would greatly appreciate it without a shadow of a doubt. It's real quick and easy just to be able to say, hey, this is what I'm getting out of this rev. And then I can move on to other things. So anyway, let's get right to it. So we're in chapter four now. How to think big. How to think big. Now, this is really important. This is, you know, all of the chapters build on themselves in this book. And I think that this chapter right here really jumps from the previous chapter on build confidence and destroy fear. So obviously, like I've said before, I can't teach the book 
page by page, I have to pull out the core principles that I think will really help you get what you feel as though you need from it. So the book starts off talking about an executive who has some concerns about the current crop of people that were trying to work for his company. And the the gist of it was this. He says on page 76, the tendency for so many people to think small means that there's much less competition than you think for a very rewarding career. Now, that in and of itself is is amazing because people tend to forget that it's not crowded at the top. It's crowded at the bottom. And when you strive for excellence and greatness, yes, that yes, that means it's a lot of effort that goes along into being great. I'm not going to say that it's not, but it's so little competition at the top because most people will not strive for greatness. So the bigger you think, the higher the possibility of being a person who is uh, functioning without a lot of competition. Now, competition will climb up, but if you are ahead of the game, you, you know, like Amazon, for instance, nobody was doing what Amazon was doing. Now, everybody's doing it because of the pandemic, but Amazon is so ahead of the game that if you had to go to somebody's website or go to the pie, uh, go to Amazon, you're going to most of the time choose Amazon. I'm just saying, you know, so I just want you to be present to thinking big and what that means. So he goes on to say, where success is concerned, people are not measured in inches or pounds or college degrees or family background. They are measured by the size of their thinking. How big we think determines the size of our accomplishments. Now let's see how we can enlarge our thinking. So he's saying you can have the skills, the education, the talents, the abilities, and the experience. And still not achieve all that's possible for you because, because you didn't think big enough. As the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman used to always say, I am the thinker that thinks the thought that makes the thing. So you want to be present to what it means and what it takes to be a big thinker. So he goes on to say on page 76, ever ask yourself, what is my greatest weakness? Probably the greatest human weakness is self-deprecation. That is selling oneself short. Self-deprecation shows through in countless ways. We don't ask for the for the raise. We don't ask for the new career opportunities. You use the examples of we don't ask for the date even though we want or we are attracted to someone. We don't ask. We don't ask. We don't show up. We don't show up. We don't do what we need to do to handle what needs to be handled. And I just wanted to be present to that because if you are selling yourself short, you can never achieve what's possible for you. You start thinking about, oh, that'll never work. Oh, that person won't give me an opportunity. Oh, they'll never give me the raise. 
Oh, they'll never give me the business deal. Why would they want to do business with me? Oh, you know, he or she will never go out with me. Oh, I'll never get in that school. We automatically put ourselves in a position of of selling ourselves short, and we end up not achieving what's totally possible, not just possible, plausible, because we don't even try. All right, so at the bottom of the page 76, going to page 77, he wrote, Philosophers for thousands of years have issued good advice. Know thyself. Most people, it seems, interpret this suggestion to mean know only thy negative self. Most self-evaluation consists of making long mental lists of one's fault, shortcomings, and inadequacies. Now, this is funny to me because, you know, sometimes uh, when you're interviewing with people for jobs, you know, in the midst of the interview, a person say, okay, tell me what your weaknesses are. And, you know, and I've always thought that that was a strange question and not because, well, one is because obviously if a person is dumb enough to, to devalue themselves in front of a potential employer, I think that's interesting in and of itself. Um, but I've always thought it was interesting and I, you know, I've never been put in that position personally, uh, but I've had conversations with people who say, well, how do you handle these type of questions and things of that nature? So first of all, I'm not going to tell you what you should do for you. I'm just saying that it's amazing that that question is answered. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in the John Maxwell method. So John Maxwell says that, you know, it's easier to turn a seven into a nine or eight into a 10 than it is to turn a two into a 10. And what that means is you have natural gifts, talents, and abilities. And when there are times when we are so focused on turning a two into a 10, and which would take a monumental effort and many times won't achieve what, most of the time you won't get there, you know, because you might just not have a natural affinity towards it. Instead of, okay, I'm a six at this, whatever it is, career, skill set, uh, job, you know, it could be anything, leadership, relationship qualities. How can I turn that six into a nine or eight or nine? Because most of the time you're not jumping from one, two to eight, nine, ten in a particular subject. You can, but realize it takes monumental effort versus being in a, and I'm not being pessimistic when I say this. I'm saying that it takes monumental effort. I'm not saying you can't do it. You got to think big. But you also have to recognize what your strengths are and enhance them and make sure that your weaknesses don't end up being in a situation where they hold you back. I'm going to give an example. Shaquille O'Neal would have never made the NBA Hall of Fame and would he would have never been a, an NBA Hall of Famer if he focused on shooting jump shots. Shaq was seven foot one and 350 pounds on a good diet. For a man his size, he was exceptionally agile, exceptionally fast, 
and even for his size, exceptionally strong, and he could jump. Now, what he realized really early was, I have a distinct advantage. His body and athleticism was worlds apart from the other big guys that played. If they were as athletic as him, they weren't as big as him. If they were as uh, big as him, they weren't as athletic as him. So he wasn't out there trying to shoot three-pointers. He wasn't trying to shoot 20-foot jump shots. He wasn't out there trying to be fancy. He dropped that shoulder, and he went up and dunks, layups, jump hooks, whatever. Those familiar with basketball and are old enough to remember know that Shaq dominated the paint. dominated. What we end up doing is we look at something that we're exceptionally not good at and we try to focus on it without ever looking at our natural strengths and say, okay, with these, with my competitive advantage, how can I maximize it? So, for instance, if I went into a, a leadership conference and I can teach leadership pretty well, but it, but John Maxwell and Simon Sinek were there. I would be crazy not to teach metaphysics because guess what? They can't do that as well as I do it. That's what I do. I'm the hardcore metaphysics guy. But what we end up doing is we, we go into somebody else's lane and we try to outdo them without recognizing what our strengths are. So I think when he's saying know thyself and know thyself just means some people just focus on the negative. I really believe it. Some folks are so focused on what they don't do right that they never comprehend what they can do well, what they do exceptionally well, or what gives them the highest potential to win. We focus too much on what we don't do well. And again, I'm not saying don't lift them up to the point to where they drag you down. What I am saying is focus more on your strengths. So it gives an exercise that helps on page 77. First one is determine your five chief assets. Determine your five chief assets. Invite some objective friend to help possibly your wife, I would say spouse, this book was written some years ago, possibly your wife, your superior, a professor, some intelligent person who will give you an honest opinion. Examples of assets frequently listed are education, experience, technical skill, appearance, well-adjusted home life, attitudes, personality, initiative. Those are just some, but you want to make sure that someone or some ones, you can ask multiple people, what are my five chief assets? You can also call them five best assets. If you ask a multitude of people, say you ask five people the same question, people who you know, you know, have the ability to critically think and they know you well. And see what they come up with. And you might be surprised that it might be exceptionally consistent. You might be surprised that something might come up that you don't see for yourself. Number two, under each asset, 
write the name of three persons you know who have achieved large success but do not have this asset to as a great of a degree as you. Again, next, under each asset, the five you wrote, write the name of three persons you know have achieved large success but who do not have the asset to as great a degree as you. In other words, in these main five things you do, there are people who you know or you know of who might have that same asset but not as fully developed. But they're exceptionally doing exceptionally well. They've achieved large success. And if you are better at that same asset than them, then why are you not benefiting at the same level or beyond? Just think about it. There are people who you know right now are not as good at what they do, and they do the same thing as you. They're not as good doing what you do right now, whatever that is. Now, they might have some other factors. I'm not going to sit there and lie. You know, I jokingly tell people that, you know, you can go to the average uh, black church and hear a great soloist. I mean, almost to a church. I'm not, And I'm more familiar with the black church. That's why I use the term the black church because I'm normally functioning in black churches. So you can normally always find a great soloist. It can it can be Baptist, Pentecostal, it can be uh, Catholic, it can be New Thought, it can be whatever, non-denominational, evangelical. You'll normally find a great soloist. But the singing is not the only factor. Sometimes it is. But there are a lot of people who sing in the choir. I have people in my family I know that can sing better than some of these people that are out there right now. The question comes into play is thinking big and then making sure that the other qualities support what it is that you're seeking to do. But sometimes we focus on the wrong things. We really do. Sometimes people in our circles are focusing on the wrong things and they're not thinking big enough. You know, when you think about uh, how much we are just addicted to appearances. And then you look at a person, like in my opinion, the best singer I ever heard with my own ears live was Luther Vandross. He was a really big guy. And it makes me wonder at times if somebody didn't believe in this man's voice, the gift that he left we wouldn't have because we're so caught up in you got to be a certain size, you got to be a certain look, and we try to deny talent. But he believed in his talent. He believed in his ability to sing. He didn't give up on his dream. Even if people say or might have said to him, well, you're too big, you know, he went – back and forth with the weight and all of those other things. But when it was all said and done, his talent was undeniable. You got to think big. You got to know that what you have is undeniable. All right. Page 78. He talks about people 
who sound smart but don't necessarily achieve well. He talks about the important of a the important measure of a person's vocabulary is not the size or the number of words he uses. Rather, the thing that counts, the only thing that counts about one's vocabulary is the is the effect his words and phrases have on his own and others thinking. And I think this is really great because even though I'm the hardcore metaphysics guy, I try to make sure that I use metaphysics in a, a way or explain metaphysics in a way with certain words that actually give people comprehension. You can be hardcore without using big words. You can be exceptional without using words that people can't follow. And I'm not saying you have to minimize your vocabulary that's natural to you, but sometimes people will use words to sound smart instead of making sure that what they're saying lands with the people in a way that influences them to move in a way that you want communicated. In other words, if people, do people understand you and can you influence people with your words? And if not, you might want to reevaluate how you use words. Page 78. He said, he wrote, here's something very basic, and I love that this is pure metaphysics. We do not think in words and phrases. We think only in pictures and or images. Words are the raw materials of thought. When spoken or read, that amazing instrument, the mind, automatically, automatically converts words and phrases into mind pictures. Each word each phrase creates a slightly different mind picture. So behind every word or phrase is an image. A way you see it in your mind. And when you get that, you recognize that the words that invoke the best imagery are the most effective. And words that produce imagery that is constructive, positive, and holistic work better for your outcomes. Images, words that promote and provoke images of bigness work better than using words that will pull your consciousness down. He goes on to say, look at it this way. When you speak or write, you are, in a sense, a projector showing movies in the minds of others. And the pictures you create determine how you and others react. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. If you look at your mouth as a projector, that's not just speaking words, but actually projecting images. Because behind those words are images. Behind those words are pictures. And at times, we use words that are not productive for our well-being. Page 79, he wrote, the point is this, big thinkers are specialists in creating positive, forward-looking, optimistic pictures 
in their own minds and in the minds of others. To think big, we must use words and phrases that produce big, positive mental images. Ooh, to think big, we must use words and phrases that produce big, positive mental images. And then he gives a great chart. And I'll let you read this on your own. He gives 11 statements, one phrases that create small negative mind images, and then phrases that create big positive mind images. I'm going to use one, just for an example. A negative, small negative mind image words would be, it's no use, we're whipped or we're beat. The the phrase that creates big positive mind images, we're not whipped yet. Let's keep trying. Here's a new angle. What phrases are you using? In other words, what's going on in your own inner conversation that will help you get where you want to go? In other words, are you using words, not just verbally, audibly rather, but what are you saying to yourself in your own mind? Because what you're saying to yourself in your own mind ends up being what you say to people audibly. What you say about life audibly. Now, let me give my quick commercial before we take this break because we're about a minute and a half away from it. So, just as a, as a reminding, reminder, excuse me, Christ Universal Temple has a live stream. Every Sunday morning, 10.30 a.m. until 12 p.m. Central Time, we want to make sure that you give yourself the opportunity to check out what we are doing. Reverend Wells is starting a new series for November titled The Practicality of Spirituality. So you want to make sure you tune in. You can tune in via our website, which is www.cutemple.org. You can uh, watch it on our Facebook page, which is Christ Universal Temple, or our YouTube page, which is CU Temple. Also, also Monday through Friday at 12 p.m. Central Time, we teach a Facebook Live lesson. Uh, normally, I do Wednesdays and Fridays. Uh, the Reverend Marjorie Cook also uh, is a presenter and uh, Attorney Gavin Jackson, our COO. Just a reminder yet again that this show is available on uh, many modalities. Uh, we're on, obviously, this website, unityonlineradio.org, but we're also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or any app that carries podcasts. My request is for the Facebook page and the different ways you listen that you give it a five-star rating and write a positive review. Make sure you like the page on Facebook. We want to make sure we get this message out to as many people as possible. Share the messages. We want to make sure we get it out there. We're going to take this break, and we'll be right back with Truth Transforms. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio, 
the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Truth Transforms with your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. We are in the midst of the series, The Magic of Thinking Big, and I want to make sure that you get what you need to get out of this series, so make sure you get the book, that you follow along, that more importantly, that you put into action what you are learning on this podcast and from reading this book. It's really important that you get and understand that it only works if you work it. All right. So on page 81, he talks about four ways to develop the big thinkers vocabulary. Number one, use big, positive, cheerful words and phrases to describe how you feel. Now, I adapted this and adopted, not adapted, adopted this many years ago. So most of the time when a person uh, says, hey, how are you doing? I say, I'm excellent. How are you? Why? Because I'm affirming what I am choosing. I'm doing well. I'm excellent. I'm great. Now, people say, well, you know, that sounds like spiritual bypass. And, you know, if you're really going through something, is it okay to say it? Well, I would say that if you need to talk to somebody about what you're going through, that's not for a general everyday conversation. You show up at work. Hey, how you doing? Well, you know, and you start going into your issues. First of all, they don't want to hear it in the first place. There are people that you talk to that you should have in your life to talk to that you can talk to when you're going through stuff in general. I agree with that completely. But it is totally fine to affirm the ideal in the midst of what's going on. The person at the while you're picking up your Starbucks coffee or wherever you get your coffee from doesn't want to hear about your uh, breakdowns. Hey, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? And keep it moving. Instead of going into your woulda, coulda, shouldas that the average person doesn't even want to really hear. And a positive mental attitude is addictive. In other words, it can help lift up another person. When a person is down and you're where you need to be and you're using language to promote it, it helps pull up the energy around where you are. If everybody's in the dumps, if everybody's pessimistic, if everybody's resigned in the use of their language, then how do you lift up a house? How do you lift up a work environment? How do you lift up a school? How do you lift up anything? I'm not saying that you can't use plain talk and you don't deal with the facts. Absolutely. But face facts with truth. Yeah, you got to deal with facts. We're in the midst of a pandemic right now. And I'm excellent. I have a mask on when I am out and about with people. And I am excellent. I maintain six feet of social distancing with my mask. And I am excellent. You can be in the hospital bed with with sensors on you and oxygen and the IV. And I am excellent. You can be in a situation to where your money's not where you want it to be. And I am excellent. You have to use a big thinker's vocabulary before you you become a big thinker. Resign thinking 
reinforces re, a resigned thinking and language, but language in particular, words reinforce the belief. It just reinforces it. And that's why, you, you know, people want to be so real when it comes to not being in the headspace uh, of, of uh, you know, you're being too optimistic and, you know, you have your head in the clouds. No, you can deal with what's going on and still maintain your positive mental attitude. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's. That was, that's a quote from Jesus. Okay, I got to deal with this worldly stuff, but I'm going to still give my praise to God. Still lift up my consciousness and see the wholeness of God in the situation, in the circumstance, even though it might not be exactly the way I want it to be right now. Use a big thing as vocabulary. Number two, use bright, cheerful, favorable words and phrases to describe other people. Again, we're talking about four ways to develop the big thing as vocabulary. Use bright, cheerful, favorable words to and phrases to describe other people. And he goes on to say, be extremely careful to avoid petty, cut-him-down language when describing other people. Why? It has a tendency to get back to them. But more importantly, it drops your consciousness. Now, again, this doesn't mean that you can't give constructive criticism, but make sure that you're giving it in a way that's not being petty. Okay? Let's just make sure. And give it to the person who needs to hear it. And if you, you know, if you're in a position to do that, it doesn't mean you can't disagree. Like, for instance, you don't like a movie, you don't like a politician, you don't like a whatever. That doesn't mean that you can't state your opinion strongly if you disagree. But there's a difference between stating your opinion strongly and just getting caught up with petty thinking. Number three. Use positive language to encourage others. Again, use positive language to encourage others. Compliment people. Use language to lift them up. Everybody loves praise. People love Thanksgiving. Just thank people. I really appreciate what you did. Oh, thank you for this. You know, just common good manners can help out a lot. You know, when I get on the elevator to this day, you know, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. That's all it takes. They don't speak back. So what? You know, to this day, my daughter still doesn't understand. Dad, why do you get on these elevators and nobody speaks back? It's like because they don't determine how I do things. When I show up or walk into a space, I speak. That's how I was raised. That's how I was trained. And I know that they are not going to change how I get down. I have a positive mental attitude. So when I get on the elevator or I walk into a room, I speak. And if people don't speak, I keep it moving because that speaks to them, not to me. Number four, use positive words to outline plans to others. Again, use positive words to outline plans to others. He says, so he uses a great example. He says, when people hear something like, here's some good news, we face a genuine opportunity, their minds start to sparkle. But when they hear something like, whether we like it or not, we've got a job to do, the mind movie is dull and boring, and they react accordingly. Promise victory and watch eyes light up. 
promise victory and win support. Build castles, don't dig graves. Now, a person can yet again say, but how's that dealing with the facts and things and breakdowns? Again, you you might have to deal with facts. You might have to stop doing something and still maintain your positive mental attitude. You might have to eliminate stuff. You might literally eliminate stuff. Stop doing a business. Stop doing a career. Stop doing an activity. And still maintain your positive mental attitude. As I've said to people before, ask yourself, what can I do? Okay, I can't do this anymore. What can I do? Never allow yourself to just stay in the dumps mentally. What can I do? What can I do? Okay, I can't do this, this, and this right now. What can I do? Okay, you're going through a divorce process. You're upset. You're frustrated. Okay, what can you do to maintain peace, to maintain order in your thinking, to maintain your joy? What can you do to laugh? What can you do to maintain your peace? What can you do? Think big. All right. The next point is see what can be, not just what is. That's another way to think big. See what can be, not just what is. If you only evaluate life based upon what has already happened by precedent, you don't need faith. Faith is required when you want to go beyond the precedent, beyond what other people have already produced beyond what has already been done, beyond the experience, beyond the situation, beyond the appearance. And he gives some great examples about a guy who, uh, the first example was how a guy sold real estate, but he would give people ideas of what they could use, how they could use the property, not just try to sell the property. And it was, And he had a whole plan of how he did it, which meant that he had a tendency not only to sell his property faster, but at a higher price because he was giving ideas, not just, he was selling ideas, not just real estate. And he gives uh, uh, something I think is a great point at the end of that point one on page 84. The moral is this. Look at things not as they are, but what is, but as they can be. Visualization adds value to everything. A big thinker always visualizes what could be done in the future. He isn't stuck with the present. You got to think ahead. You got to think ahead. You know, some folks are stuck and mesmerized by the present or by what happened in the past. You know, I can remember... You know, a friend of mine being so mesmerized and devastated by 9-11 that we had to literally go over and say, hey, you got to turn this TV off. Because like many Americans, it mentally paralyzed them. And I'm not devaluing what happened. But I'm saying is you still have to to go forward. You have to go forward. You can't get stuck like Lot's wife looking back. You got to go forward. That's why the scripture says 
when you leave Sodom and Gomorrah, go forward and don't look back. When she looked back, she got stuck where she were, was. All right. Number two, how much is a customer worth? I love this. I come from the retail business. You know, I was a grocery store manager for many years. And this was something we always tried to get across to our employees that that person who might be coming in spending eight or nine dollars might not seem like that's much. But that person shows up at the store six or seven times a week. So this person might be spending thousands of dollars a year in the store, even though they might only be coming in at that point just to grab some milk and some bread. You know, you know, there <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. This, you know, it, it was a couple of when I was at one particular store. One of the things I noticed really early was it was a guy who would come in to the store when it opened at seven o'clock and he would go automatically to get his beer. And later that day, sometime late afternoon, guess what? That same guy was coming back to get some more beer. And this was almost every day. Every day. Now, I'm not here to judge his habits. That was a consistent customer. No matter what. And here's the thing. Because he was constantly coming in the store, we had an opportunity to sell him, sell him something else. Because he had to walk past a lot of other items to get to his beer. And sometimes it was beer and some Twinkies. I don't know. Beer and some lunch meat, beer, and, you know, some whatever snacks he wanted to eat, potato chips or whatever. But he kept coming back. So he wasn't just a person that was coming in to get a 40-ounce bottle of malt liquor. He was a customer that gave us an opportunity to sell other things. And what we do many times is we don't realize how much it costs to get a customer. Even in the church business, how much is a parishioner worth to the ability of your ministry to perform ministry? For those who are in the church world, just think about it from, from that standpoint. Now, you're giving service to the world, but as people uh, you know, uh, uh, one minister I heard say many years ago, it's hard to do ministry when you don't have any money because you have to be able to provide service. And many times providing service requires funds. You know, Commonwealth Edison, and the, the light bill or, or the, you know, the people's gas in Chicago, that's the heat, the heat, the company that provides heat. They don't take prayers for payment. So you have to be mindful when you're thinking big, how much is a customer worth? It doesn't make a difference what your occupation is. How much are they worth? Treat them right. He goes on to say, on this point, page 85, the point made by the retailing executive 
uh, applies to any kind of business. It's repeat business that makes the profit. It's the, the repeat business. He goes on to say, next paragraph, putting a big value on customers is what converts them into big, regular patrons. And he talks about how you can lose one with stupidity. He gives some great examples of it. How, you know, I just saw on, uh, I think it was last week or the week before, Shonda Rhimes, the great TV producer and writer, uh, had a deal on the table with, with Disney ABC and for more shows, she wrote Scandal and How to Get Away with Murder and all these popular TV shows on ABC. Grey's Anatomy, I believe. I think she's Grey's Anatomy too. But anyway, she had a gift item. She wanted to send a, a you know, use some of the perks that she's earned to send her, her a family member and some friends to Disneyland. And one of the passes wasn't given. And so the people, I guess, called. I guess she left the names and somebody didn't get a pass or the amount of passes she asked for, which wasn't a lot. It was like four passes or something like that. And she calls the Disney executive and said, hey, the pass didn't go through. Could you make this work? And then basically the guy was like, what, you know, you know, don't you have enough already? In other words, like, well, you're a multimillionaire. Couldn't you just pay for this $150 pass? But it wasn't the point. This woman has literally created shows that have been on for several seasons and have generated so much money for your television station and for your parent company. And you don't want to give her a $150 Disneyland pass. Next thing you know, she gets frustrated, signs a deal with Netflix. Don't lose your base. By being cute, by being silly, or by being ignorant of the value of what they bring to the table. Be careful. All right. Number three, the case of the blind milkman. And this story is basically, it was a milk back in the day when milkman would come to your door. Uh, came to the author's door and, and tried to sell some milk. And he said, well, we already have a milkman. Good deal. Well, what about the neighbor? Well, I went to the neighbor and they only want milk twice a week. And that's not enough for me to make the trip. And he says, well, did you pay attention? In other words, the woman's pregnant. They're going to need more milk. And you're not paying attention to the details. And what it was saying was this. There are opportunities in front of us, but if we're not paying attention, we're like the blind milkman. We're not seeing opportunity right in front of us because we're too busy seeing, not paying attention to the details. We show up, this is what I want. We don't hear what we want, and we're not paying attention to the potential or the possibilities around us. Don't be the blind milkman. Number four, what determines how much you're worth? Oh, I love this. I love this. Uh so uh, just to jump down, because he gives some great examples about how people do things. Uh, he said, uh, talking about this guy who said, I don't see myself where I am. I'm putting myself in a place to where I can be. So he wrote, he's mastered the basic success principle. It isn't what one, it isn't what one has that's important. Excuse me. Rather, it's how much one is planning to get that counts. The price tag 
the world puts on us is just about identical to the one we put on ourselves. Here's how you can develop your power to see what you can be, not just what is. I call these the practice adding value exercises. All right. The practice adding value exercises. They are, number one, practice adding value to things. What does that mean? He says the thing, whether it could be a vacant lot, house, or business, has value in proportion to the ideas for using it. So figure out how to add value to things. How can this be better utilized for success and prosperity? Number two, practice adding value to people. He says as you move higher and higher in the world of success, more and more of your job becomes people development. Ask, what can I do to add value to my subordinates? What can I do to help them become more effective? Remember, to bring out the best in a person, you must visualize his best. You must first visualize his best or her best. Number three, practice adding value to yourself. Conduct a daily interview with yourself. Ask, what can I do to make myself more valuable today? Oh, that's great. What can I do to make myself more valuable today? Visualize yourself not as you are, but as you can be. Then specific ways for attaining your potential value will suggest themselves. Just try and see. So those are ways in which you can add value to what you, to yourself and to what you're doing. All right. Only got five minutes left. And I want to make sure I cover a few things. He has he covers a couple of other things that I think are really interesting. He uses example, what does it take to make a good speech, which I think is really good, but I'm not going to jump into that right now except for this one point. Because I think this is what's most important, whether you're a public speaker or you're speaking for your business or whatever. Yeah, all of these successful public speakers have one thing in common. They have something to say and they feel a burning desire for other people to hear it. That's what really qualifies you as a good speaker. You have something to say and you're not going to let anything get in the way of you saying it. All right. Number two, what causes quarrels? All right. He's, he wrote, at least 99% of the time, quarrels start over petty, unimportant matters. So we have to be mindful and really ask ourselves the question before we get into quarrels. Is it really important? Is it really important? And it might be, and you might need to address it. You know, you know, I'm a big believer in addressing breakdowns. Not addressing everything, but addressing breakdowns. And if you don't, because they can end up turning into other things. However, some things are just, we just laser beam on some things sometimes that when it's all said and done, that's just the way they move and, and either you accept it or you move on. And what do I mean by that? You know, sometimes we want to make people over into our image and likeness. Now, if you're in a company and, and you are the supervisor or the owner and you want people to move and navigate a certain kind of way, you have that right. But if they don't, you can't force a square into a circle. You might have to make some different decisions. However, what ends up happening many times is people try to micromanage folks and then they get into pettiness instead of, okay, effectiveness. 
Are you effective at what you do in a business setting, in a work setting or whatever? In a family setting, you have to take a look and see, you know, uh, is this really important? And if not, allow it to keep it moving. You know, I, I can often, you know, remember, you know, when my maternal grandparents, my grandmother would get angry and go on these tangents. And my grandfather would be sitting in the living room reading a magazine with his arms crossed. And I was like, aren't you going to say something, granddaddy, or, you know, or whatever? And he was like, nope, you know, keep reading his magazine because he was just letting her have it because she was going to calm down and everything was going to be cool again. Then he talks about uh, what he calls John got the smallest office and fizzled out. And he talks about how we allow ourselves to get caught up by not getting what we want and we lose the context of the big picture. And we can't lose the big picture. Number four, even stuttering is a detail. He talks about how a guy did, who was a salesman did not allow himself to lose the sale just because he stuttered. So he gives two things that we should do. Number one, page 96, keep your eyes focused on the big objective. Number two, ask if it's really important. Number three, don't fall in the triviality trap. Those are three things you got to be careful of if you want to think big. And then he gives on page pages 97 and 98 what he calls uh, the distinction between the petty thinkers approach and the big thinkers approach. And he gives some great examples of what that looks like and what that sounds like. I'm not going to read those. You can read those for yourself when you get the book. Now, uh, I'm going to be I won't be live for the next two weeks. I'm taking just these two next Wednesdays off. They'll pay, probably play the encore of this episode or one of the, or of this series. So I want you to stay in tune. Keep reading the, the chapters going forward. When I come back to the show on November 18th, I will start back with Chapter 5, How to Think and Dream Creatively. So make sure that you are read up and most importantly, practicing it and let me know by reaching out to the how uh my facebook page true transforms reverend galen mcdowell how it works god bless you take care thanks for listening this is unity online radio the voice of an awakening world Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm. 